you have your Bibles this morning, let's open those up to Genesis chapter 12. I believe that we are continuing a series on some of the Bible characters. And this morning we're going to look at one in particular, which is Abram. And as I was looking at the, the VBS video, it looked like y'all just had an awesome week in, in getting to do that. But, but maybe if you grew up in church like I did, you remember those VBS days because VBS has been around for a long time, at least long enough that I remember doing that as a kid. So I, I guess that's not that long, but, but a long time. And maybe you remember all of these characters and all of these personalities in the Bible being taught to us as kids as, as these are heroes. These are people that we need to model our faith after. These are, these are great examples for us. And there's a great element of truth to that. There are some things in Abram's life, there are some things in, in some of the other Bible characters' lives that we can point to and say, yes, I want to embrace that. I want my life to look like that. I want to be that. But I know for me and maybe for a lot of you as you've grown up in the faith and become more and more familiar with God's Word and the truth about some of these men and women that are hailed as Bible heroes, the Bible is very honest and, and really very objective and painting a picture of their lives. And in so many ways we see, oh, well, they really knocked it out of the park in this area, but in this circumstance, in this part of their life, oh, I can relate to that. I, I can relate to what he did there. I can relate to what she did there because it's not good. Uh, for, for instance, we'll get into Abram in just a minute, but I always remember being told as a child, let's, let's be like Samson and let's be strong for the Lord. No, we don't want to be like Samson. We do not want to be like Samson. Don't have, un, don't have the time to unpack that this morning. But no, Gideon is another one. Okay, he started out well, but it didn't go well at the end. So many stories like that where if, we're, if we look at it in the whole story rather than just bits and pieces, wow, I can relate to this guy. I can relate to her because I don't always get it right either. So we get to a point a little bit later in Scripture where Abraham, when he, he, he starts as being Abram, you remember, and later he becomes Abraham, same guy, different names, significance behind the names, but he, has, he is regarded as a man of faith. In fact, <clears throat> way later, the New Testament will commend Abraham for his faith, it sets him up as the, the, the model, the, the one that we want to look to as an example for our faith. And Paul makes that case in Romans of how it was Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and sets that up as, as an example for us of we are saved by grace through faith, by trusting, by believing, by doing what Abraham did. Except that the story that we're going to look at this morning, he didn't have a lot of faith. 
He shows that rather than the pattern of his life being, look at Abraham, look at his great faith. Maybe he was a lot like a lot of us where he learned to trust God through the circumstances in which he did not trust God. And he learned the hard way, as we have to do sometimes. I really should have trusted God in that situation instead of doing what I did. And so let's look at that in the Bible this morning. Just a little bit of background before we start into verse 10. You remember at the very beginning of the chapter, God... (coughs) Excuse me. These summer allergies are brutal. God came to Abram and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't say where. He doesn't say when he's going to get there. He just says, go. And Abram packs up his stuff, leaves his family behind, at least the extended family, and he goes. Well, way to go, Abraham, doing, doing great so far. And a little bit later, God brings him, around verse 7, God brings him into the land of Canaan. That's significant because remember, 400 years later, 500 years later, the people of Israel are going to go in and inherit the land of Canaan and supposed to drive out the inhabitants and all of that. And when Abram gets to that place, God says, this is Canaan, I am going to give this land to your offspring which we read that at face value, okay, God's going to give it to your offspring. But hold on. At this point, when God makes that promise, there's two things that are going on here. First, the Canaanites are in the land even then, so Abram must be thinking, okay, well, God, what are you going to do with all the people that are in the land now? Because they probably wouldn't appreciate knowing that you're going to give it to me and to my offspring. The other part of that that's really significant is, Abram, at that point, had no offspring. And God says to Abram, as only God can do and make a promise like this, Abram, you know those offspring that you don't have yet? I'm going to give this land to them. And it says that there, Abram built an altar to the Lord and he worshipped him. And he continued his journey. God continued to to move on. And so he goes to another place named Bethel. And this is getting us closer to where we're going to start reading. But Bethel, it means house of God. And it says there that Abram again built an altar to God and he called upon the name of the Lord there. So far, so good, right? Abram, you're you're, you're a man of faith. This is amazing. This is astonishing. God says, go and you go. And, And God's showing you all of this. But this is where it takes a turn. This is where it starts to not look very good for Abram. And I believe that if we look at this carefully, this is a place that we can all relate to because we've already been here or we're here right now. And if you don't fall into either of those first two categories, oh, don't worry because there'll be an opportunity for you. It's coming. So here it is. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, we take that at face value. What's the big deal? There was a famine, and Abram went to Egypt. What, why, what, what else would you do? There's nothing to eat. My family's going to starve, so let's go down to Egypt. 
The Bible does this a lot, particularly in the Old Testament. There's no verse that follows this that says, and the thing that Abram did was an abomination in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't say that. It really just tells us the details and leaves it to us to evaluate what happened. But what we're going to see is what Abram has to do next shows that he should not have done this. And in fact, a lot of the time throughout the Bible, there's a few exceptions where God actually tells somebody to go to Egypt. But most of the time, what we see throughout the Scripture is that when somebody goes to Egypt, it is just simply an outward sign of making an alliance with the world, with compromising with the world. It, it, is, a, it is a direct indication of we're not trusting God, we're trusting in Egypt. Abram did what a lot of us have done before. We reach a situation, we're, we're following God, we're walking with God the best we know how to do, and we get to a situation, and there's a famine in the land, or it gets hard, or something happens and we don't understand it. And rather than wait and stand and trust God, what do we do? We panic, we freak out, and we, we, we just scramble to make something happen. We take matters into our own hand, hands and we run to Egypt. There's nothing to indicate that this is part of the sojourning that God had prepared for Abram. There's nothing that says, and God wanted Abram to go to Egypt. God wanted Abram to trust him. And so look at what happens. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. If he had stopped there, it would have been okay. And, verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Got a plan. Verse 13, say that you're my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Honey, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. That's not going to go over well. On so many fronts, that's not going to go over well. Now, this is a little bit icky, and if you have maybe distant relatives somewhere, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, Arkansas, Mississippi, somewhere like that, you'll be able to relate to this somehow, at least make jokes about it. But Abram wasn't completely lying. Sarai was, in fact, his half-sister. Now, in our ears, that's really icky, but that's just what they did in those days, is you married within your family. Um, it, was a, it was a very significant thing. We don't do that anymore. We, we want the family tree to fork and all that type of thing. But at this time, that's not unusual. And so it wasn't a lie 
it was a half-truth. To me, though, I'm, I'm reasonably sure that, in at least Sarai's mind, that the wife relationship would trump that of the half-sister. So this was convenient. But here's the point with this. Abram, if you're walking into a situation where you have to lie or you have to tell a half-truth and you have to ask somebody else to do the same thing, could it be that God is not leading you into that situation? Maybe you're acting out of the flesh rather than doing what God wants you to do. As soon as you walk into the situation and you have to do that, that ought to tell you something. Sure is easier, though, to look at Abram here in the Bible, and that is painfully obvious to us, but when we're doing the same thing, it's not quite as obvious. I want to make this... I, I, three points, because you're, you know, all sermons have three points this morning. But just to put some structure around what we're going to look at this morning, I, I want us to understand this and, and reflect on this because it's probably true in our own lives. The first point is this: the most foolish decisions we will make in this life happen when we panic instead of trust. When we panic instead of trust, that's when we're going to make really foolish decisions. And for Abram, he's already there. We're already on the way into Egypt. And on the way into Egypt, oh, by the way, Sarai, uh, they're probably going to kill me because of you. So just tell them that you're my sister. The problem that that's going to create is, if she says that I'm his sister, then why can't they have her as their wife? And he's going to put her in all kinds of a bad situation because of the half-truth that he told, because he should have never been in that place in the first place because he panicked rather than trusting God. We all know that person, right? That when they don't know what to say, they say something. Never can say nothing So when they get in a situation, they just, their mouth runneth over and they just talk. And they end up putting their foot in their mouth and saying something they never should have said. Well, we're, a lot of the time, we're very much like that with our decisions. God, I don't know what to do, so I'll just do something. No. We, we tell people, don't just stand there, do something. No, sometimes what the Bible calls us to do is stand in a place. Wait. Trust. Hold on. When you have to do it frantically and you have to do it in a panic, that's probably not the voice of God leading you to do this. And this is a situation that, that, that's created for Abraham, Abram. But here's the problem, is, as Abram's going to see, and as many as of us have found out the hard way, one bad decision usually leads to several other bad decisions that are going to follow as a result of that. Strike one, you go to Egypt, but then strike two, you've got to cover all the bases because you shouldn't have been there in the first place. And this is going to be a mess of a situation to get out of for Abram. Verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 15. One more time, verse 14, I believe, is where we left off. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. He wasn't wrong about that. 
And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. All of that says Abram's getting rich because he's getting treated favorably because of Sarai. Minus the little minor detail that his wife is now living in the Egyptian palace. And they are unaware that that's his wife and not just his half-sister. That's not a good situation. And what I want us to see from this, this great half-truth, and the situation that Abram is in now, is this. The second point is just understand, when we go where we shouldn't go, we're probably going to do what we shouldn't do. When we go where we shouldn't go, we're probably going to do what we shouldn't do. Maybe he's getting rich, but it's on the heels of telling a lie, and he's going to have to find a way to get him out of this situation because this is not sustainable. But on a much more personal level, we, we see this play out in our own lives um, going to try to make this as g-rated as possible this morning but but i need i I was teaching on this passage before and and i got to tell you a story about a a student that that i had one time keep in mind as i tell you this i had no idea what had happened but i am telling this very story um in class one day i teach some bible classes at a christian school and in San Antonio, this was a, a, a previous school where I was working, though, and, and I had a group of uh, seniors in high school. And all I'm doing in my mind is I'm teaching through this passage, and I'm making this same point. Hey, when you go where you shouldn't go, you're going to do what you shouldn't do. And I really didn't think much of it other than, wow, this young man must not be feeling well. I watched this kid in the class, good kid. Not, not a fringe kid, one of our strongest ones. I watch him turn white as a sheet. I thought he was just sick. He gets up and runs out of the room to go throw up in the bathroom. Again, it's not registering with me that it's anything more than he is physically sick. That happens sometimes. Okay, no big deal. End of class. Same kid in tears comes and he wants to talk to me. And okay, sure. You know, are you, are you feeling okay? What's what's going on? I'm still not clued into this. But as I'm telling the story and I'm making this point, the Holy Spirit just got all over this kid with conviction and with this is what you did. Totally unbeknownst to me couple of days before, this fine Christian school kid was in a car with a girl. And he put himself in a situation that he should not have been in. He knew better. She knew better. Things moved to the back seat of the car. All I'm going to say from what he told me, It could have been worse, 
but what happened was bad enough. And I was thrilled. Maybe thrilled isn't the word. I was at least delighted that the Holy Spirit was all over him about that. And it wasn't this senior in high school boy bragging about what happened. He was convicted and he understood. I did what I did because I put myself in a bad situation. I put myself in a situation where it could have happened and it did. And the word for us is this. Maybe, it's, maybe that's not the situation for us, but when we put ourselves in a situation where we're not supposed to be there, bad things are going to result from that. And get this part. As some of that discussion started to happen, some of his classmates knew about what took place. And they got mad at me. One in particular got mad at me because she thought, I knew about what happened, and I was throwing it in his face. And I had to say, listen, hon, I had no idea. I'm just preaching God's Word. I'm just teaching God's Word. The Holy Spirit did the conviction there. I didn't know anything about it. Oh. I thought, you no, I didn't know. But see, for how many of us... Maybe making a living, we put ourselves in situations where it's going to be really easy to compromise. It's going to be really easy to cheat. Or we associate with people where we know that we're going to be putting ourselves in a bad situation, but it's the almighty dollar. We've got to make this work. I don't mean to get stereotypical here, but let's just, let's just be honest. Guys... If staying up late at night sitting in front of the TV or in front of the computer is going to cause you to look at things that are inappropriate because you can and because you're alone and because there's no accountability, don't put yourself in a situation where you can do that. Yes, that applies to ladies too, but guys, that, that's just a deal, right? Ladies, if you have a friend that every time you talk to her, you're going to tend to get in a gossipy conversation with this friend, don't have a conversation with that friend. Or if you're going to, make it really short and make it really quick because you know that when you talk to that person, it's going to turn into gossip. You put yourself in that situation. Don't be surprised 30 minutes later when all of a sudden you're caught up on the latest gossip. Well, I didn't intend for that to happen, but you put yourself in a situation where it could have. all kinds of situations and scenarios like that in our lives, that it begins with we put ourselves in a situation where it could happen and then we act totally surprised when it did. Abram, we understand when you went to Egypt, maybe you didn't think this through, but after you got there and you realize, what am I doing here? The only thing I can do now is lie. Now how are you going to get out of the situation? The whole deal again. When we do, when we go where we're not supposed to go, we're going to do what we're not supposed to do. How do you get out of the situation? Verse 17. Let's go a little further. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. 
They don't even know why it's happening. They just know that there's this affliction that's coming. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? We don't even know how he found out. We just know somehow Pharaoh finds out and connects the dots. Well, no wonder. All of this affliction is happening in my kingdom. This is his wife. That's an awkward conversation that Pharaoh and Abram are going to have there. You, you sort of didn't mention to me that she was your wife. Could you, could you explain that to me? Verse 19. Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her from my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Problem solved, right? God rescued him, right? There's one little minor detail that's not minor at all, and I wish we had more time to get into this this morning doesn't specifically say this in the scripture, but the best we can tell, Abram leaves Egypt with Sarai, speaking of awkward conversations, the conversation that they're going to have, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for that one? But Abram leaves Egypt, wealthy, rich, servants, great, right? probably in Egypt was where was a place where Abram and Sarai picked up a maidservant named Hagar and if you know anything about what's about later going to happen with Hagar that wasn't exactly a bonus coming out of Egypt And the point for us to learn from that is that sometimes we set things in motion in our lives and there is forgiveness, there is grace, but yes, there are also consequences. And this thing is going to play out and it is going to come back to bite Abram and Sarai so badly later on in their future. Look at one more thing with this, but I just want to say this to you. For many of you right now, the the issue is, have you gone to Egypt? In what ways in your life are you failing to trust God and you've already gone to Egypt? Because if you have, in whatever way that looks like, it's time to come back. There's, There's mercy here. There's God's rescuing here. Just like he did for Abram, we can get out of that. We can we can move away from that. But we have to see it and we have to decide This is me aligning myself with the world. This is me trusting in me and not trusting in God. And it's time to put a stop to that. But maybe for some others of us this morning, no, you're not in Egypt. But either right now, or in something that's going to come down the pike in your life before too long, that temptation is going to be there. To trust in yourself, to trust in, okay, well, I can fix this. I can just go in. Oh, 
But that's not what God's calling you. That's not what God is wanting you to do. And I want us just to look at, uh, at the couple of, first couple of verses in chapter 13 to see this in, in process in Abram's life and, and what happened here. Verse 1, so Abram went up from Egypt. He, he leaves and he heads back north. He and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev, which that was the last place he was before he went down into Egypt. So he's retracing his steps, which is good. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He went right back to where he had been before, to the places where he was when he blew it, when he decided to take matters out of God's hands and put them in his own. And he walked back to that place, and he repented, and he built an altar, and again, he called upon the name of the Lord. What does that say to us? Third point, two words. Embrace here. What what, what do you mean embrace here? The place in your life that God has you right now. No, but I I don't don't really like this place. I don't really want to be here. I, I can't wait for God to move me into something else. I'm I'm really not comfortable here. I I really, I just don't like it here. You know, God calls us to embrace here. If Abram had just stopped there in Bethel before he went to Egypt and he had just said, you know what, God, I don't understand why you've moved me into a place where there's a famine. But I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to just lose all perspective, you must have brought me here for a reason, and so I'm going to stand in this place until you tell me to move. And this was written later, but this would have been the place that Abram just could have said, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I may have even said this when I was here before, but I'm going to say it again. In the place that we are right now, if we cannot say, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. If we can't say that today, when things are not the way that we would like for them to be, we're also not going to say it in the future when things are the way that we would like for it to be. It's not going to change because our contentment, our trust in God is in deciding, God, I'm going to trust you where I am right now. And that might mean there's a measure of a famine going on. And rather than panicking, God calls us to trust Him right here. It might mean that we're not exactly in life where we want to be. God, I hate this job. God, I I hate being in school. God, my family is so messed up. God, would you come please do something in my marriage? That's the place that God calls us to trust Him. And it might mean staying and standing rather than panicking and leaving. 
I have a daughter who turned two this week. And part of turning two was going to the pediatrician for her two-year checkup, which included a toe prick and two booster shots right in the thigh. This was the comical part of it. She did great through the toe prick. Booster shot one, no problem. Booster shot two, no problem. And then it was like five seconds later, that hurt, screams. And she kept saying to me again and again, ready, ready, daddy, ready. That's her way of saying, get me out of here. I am ready. And I laughed about this week and thinking about in my own life and probably in yours, how many situations God's walked me through and I'm stomping my feet going, ready, ready. Right here. Just calm down. Right here. We're going to get out of this place when I'm ready for you to get out of this place. But in that place, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe that I'm good. I want you to learn what I have for you to learn right here in this place. Ready, ready. No, no, just hold on. Here is where God has you. And here is where God's going to teach you. And here is where, just like God, through these circumstances, taught Abram to be a man that trusted him. It's what God is calling for us in the circumstances of our lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and we're just going to continue into, in a time of worship. But I really want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit what has your name on it this morning. You're welcome to come down and pray. If um, you'd like to do that, you're welcome to stay in your seat and, and just ask the Lord what He would speak to you, what you need to do in response to his word this morning. And is this the place where he has you right now where he's called you to stand and he's called you to trust him?